0: Hi, welcome to another episode of Paul on Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Kiran Kumaroswamy. He's the uh, senior manager at ICF, and uh, they are a uh, think tank and a group that deals with uh, energy issues and uh, issues with the grid and world power and energy management issues, and We're going to talk about a recent white paper that he did on uh, how and where distributed energy resources will reduce the need for transmission. And that's a very uh, interesting
1: aspect, especially as we move towards a smart grid.
0: Isn't that right, Kieran? Welcome to the show.
1: Good afternoon, Alex. Uh, Thank you for having me on. That is absolutely correct. I think one of the key things that's happening right now in the energy industry is the fact that there is an increasing trend of having distributed energy resources or DERs, within the whole electric grid itself. Now, the distributed energy resources take different shapes and forms, uh, like the rooftop solar panels that we have seen, uh, combined heat and power applications, energy efficiency applications, demand response, and potential energy storage as well. Now, one of the key questions that utility executives and decision makers at the state commission level are facing is the fact that could the growth in these types of distributed resources take away the need for transmission? Now, conventionally speaking, electric transmission was needed to bridge the places where the generation were, which were far away from load centers, to where the load was, which used to be in metropolitan areas and cities and and so on. And so you needed to construct these large, high-voltage, long-distance lines to connect up generation sources to load sources. Now what you're seeing is that because of the growth of these distributed resources, you actually are able to defer or avoid investing in some of these transmission lines because the generation sources happen to coincide with where the load is because people are installing rooftop solar panels on their homes. And so one of the things that we uh, explore within this white paper is the fact that how and where these resources will actually reduce the need for transmission. Could it become possible at some point that we may not actually need to build any transmission at all and solve all of the grid-related problems through distributed resources? Or is it only in specific cases that th- these types of occurrences happen? And-, and so those are the kind of things that we actually explore within this white paper. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, Karen, that's a very interesting
0: aspect of it. But then again, I would say that that's highly dependent upon the nature of the local energy harvesting, energy storage systems involved. Because, for example, in a municipality, you might have a lot of solar panels, but you might also have some company doing, say, for example, charging fuel cells at night from the grid or doing some other way of time-shifting power from traditional generated sources that are being um, underutilized in the evening, for example. So I would say there are two flavors of grid-level energy source, there's going to be the renewable grid-level energy source and the storage-based grid-level energy source. Would you think, Would you agree with that?
1: That is, that is correct. That is correct. And in fact, it's in fact a very good point as well because some of the distributed resources tend to take away the stress in the electric grid. Like, for example, if you have energy efficiency or demand response, they actually have a tendency to lower the demand that you see on the grid. Whereas certain other types of sources, for example, if you have plug-in hybrid vehicles, if you have energy storage applications, during certain instances of time, they could actually increase the stress on the electric grid. And so uh, one of the key things that you have to bear in mind is that when you look at it all on an integrated basis, how is the effect of all of these distributed resources uh, having an effect on the transmission grid and the distribution grid? And so that's an important aspect. Now, the other aspect of it is also that there's a lot of benefits for having the traditional bread-and-butter transmission lines as well one of the key things that the electric grid gives you is the flexibility to accommodate new resources now we all know that across the industry we are seeing a huge shift in terms of the generation profile that you have across the nation where where we have a lot of coal generation in the past because of tightening environmental regulations we see that a lot of coal units are retiring these days and what is taking the place of these coal units is gas combined cycle units and and gas generation and so and these new units are also coming up in places in the grid where the old units were not there. And so the whole topology of where the generation is located is changing right now. And one of the key benefits of having an electric transmission system, which is completely robust and, and sort of networked and and redundant, is the fact that it gives you this flexibility to accommodate different types of resources within the grid. And and so there's this thing about having still a very reliable and, and networked redundant electric grid for you to have that flexibility to for, to ride through the future. And so the other aspect of it is also that there are some issues with respect to some, some types of distributed resources. For example, uh, rooftop solar for instance, the output of rooftop solar PV panels does not coincide with when the system peak happens. And I say system peak in terms of the demand that occurs on the transmission grid. And so when you think about uh, riding through really stressful times on the electric grid, which is, you know, the August month when, when you have sweltering heat and during the peak condition, which is usually like in the late evening hours when people are getting back home, turning on their air conditioners, and those kind of things, you really need a very resilient transmission system because of the fact that some of these distributed resources may not have enough output to provide for those conditions. And so... Although there is a case in some types of deferral or, or benefit in terms of transmission investments with some of the classifications of distributed resources, there there is a lot more benefits of having the, the classic transmission system as well.
0: Right. Well, um, Karen, one of the things that I wanted to point, or ask you about is in order for that model to truly succeed, we also have to change the philosophy of how we sell power because a lot of the reason for the grid instability is also some companies pulling and pushing power on or off the grid depending upon the spot
1: price at the time. That's correct. That's an interesting point as well. Yeah, I've heard about that in the sense that um, there's not much visibility in terms of some of these distributed resources and how this whole push-pull, that, that the mechanism that you're explaining, Alex, happens really. And, and uh One would think that as we move into the next decade or or the next advent of smart grid and having the AMI infrastructure in place, there is even very high-level talks about, you know, pushing through the LMP construct, the pricing construct that you have in the traditional wholesale power markets into the distribution system because then there is a price signal that manifests within the distribution grid for people to understand when it's economical for them to push the power or when it's economical for them to uh, uh, consume the power. Uh, particularly as it relates to storage applications, for instance. Um, exactly. But again, data is kind of like one of the biggest challenges there. Uh, the distribution grid data is usually not available in a form and shape that is like the transmission system. Uh, but that said, you, you would naturally think that with the advent of smart grid devices and, and better metering infrastructure to, to mine the data, that that construct could happen, you know, probably like within the next two decades or so.
0: Yes, I agree with you completely. But then that also throws in other aspects. Like I, I think going back to the issue of money, I my greatest fear is as we move towards a smart grid is that it'll almost look like Wall Street with high-speed computer programs doing spot energy pricing, and your your washing machine will have to negotiate on the spot price of power before it'll let it turn it
1: on to wash your clothes. That's true. <laughs> it's possible that way, eh? although you, you would think that these the, the, the 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 time intervals that these things vary on may not be as sophisticated as uh, stock prices for instance that Wall Street might tend to think of uh, and so uh, and maybe so that there is enough mechanisms that are inbuilt to to avoid that kind of uh, a manipulative behavior or, or anything like that so uh, but but again you you absolutely need to have the infrastructure in place before anything like this happens and 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 in in in, in reality as well to realize the true potential of smart grid and smart appliances as well, there has to be this two way communication that happens um, within the grid in terms of appliances knowing when it's economical or uneconomical to, to switch on. So,
0: Right, right. Well, that will either be an economic pressure or it will be a simple system efficiency. The smart house might not be doing it on a price basis, but just simply because it takes less energy at that certain time frame and it has a general mandate from you to reduce household energy cost.
1: Absolutely. That, that's, that's quite true. And, and in fact, one of the projections that we have in terms of distributed resources is also that these resources will grow significantly. Uh, it, this is a combination of two things happening here. One is that the, the capital cost of some of these systems are coming down like crazy. For example, rooftop solar, the prices have gone down tremendously. That, that We really expect that by about 2020 or so, this is like a 12 gigawatt market uh, in, in terms of market size, which which is about a 600% market growth from where we are right now, uh, and mm-hmm. and it's it's phenomenal because of the fact that it's becoming more and more economical for people to actually think about installing rooftop panels. And again, in specific portions of the country, for example, in California, in New Jersey, uh, may not be everywhere. Uh, some of the some of the uh, basic economic principles have to hold good in terms of. Your solar irradiance and and your 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 market incentives and in, in your specific markets and those things, but we do expect that there's there's an incredible amount of growth that will happen within the solar PV market. Now the same thing is true with the combined heat and power application market as well. We think that this is like a 10 gigawatt market by by 2020, and this is in part due to the policy issues that are changing. Um, there is a strong incentive um, at the federal level and at at some state levels for the growth of combined heat and power applications, mainly because of the fact that it really provides for efficiencies for industrial users and and commercial users of electricity. And then Mm -hmm. um, there are even some examples, like in places in New York, that having CHP installations provides for greater resiliency to ride through events like uh, Superstorm Sandy, for instance. Uh, And there are instances where uh, the, the electric consumers who had CHPs on site had electricity for a greater amount of time even though their neighbors lost power during Sandy. And so Mm -hmm. uh, people are even thinking of having CHP as a resiliency measure these days. And so um, overall, the outlook that we have is that the distributed energy resources are growing significantly and will continue to grow within the next, um, say, 8 to 10 years or so. And, And that's where it becomes important in terms of understanding the implications of such a growth. And, and, and when, when a resource that is like the distributed resource grows at such a clip, um, what impact does it have on the wholesale power market? What impact does it have on the transmission and distribution investments that you need to make? And, and so that's kind of the thing that we looked at within this paper. Got it. So are
0: there final thoughts uh, that you'd like to leave the audience before we close out the episode?
1: Uh, yeah, so I think one of the key conclusions that we came up with Within this analysis is that for for distributed resources to be effective in terms of offsetting the need for transmission or what we call as the non transmission alternatives now distributed resource is a non transmission alternative in in a in a classical sense, but for them to be really successful in being an NTA, they really have to be targeted and so if we have particular counties, if you have certain towns certain regions where there are transmission issues where the local utility company or um, the transmission owner is looking at investing a certain amount of money in terms of upgrading the transmission infrastructure, you have to be targeted within those specific regions to implement these distributed resources. And then we see that it leads to a lot of benefits. In some cases, it can actually completely take away the need for the transmission investment. So if you actually implement energy efficiency or demand response in a certain manner within the particular region, you can actually take away the need for transmission. Now, most of the distributed resources that are happening in the country right now are not targeted. They're, they're what we call as ha- what happens in a very uncoordinated manner. And when that happens, it, it doesn't have a huge impact in terms of taking away the need for transmission. And so one of the key things is that if you're really looking at it in terms of how can we take away the need for transmission projects or transmission investments, then the solution to that is, is go targeted be focused in terms of a particular region, and we have seen a lot of examples of that. For example, even within ISO New England, which is the market that, ha- uh, that operates in all of the New England states, Vermont and Maine have demonstrated that they can really defer transmission projects through targeted implementation of distributed resources. Now, at the same time, in southern New England, in Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts, we saw that because of the fact that the nature of the problem that the transmission system was trying to solve was so huge and so regional, even targeted programs were not so helpful in taking away the need for transmission. And so it just gives you a flavor for the fact that uh, some of these issues are very regional in nature and, and it depends on the type of program that you're considering at the distributed level in terms of how uh, reliable they are in comparison with the transmission option.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Well, and obviously
0: these are all going to be things that we, that we need to consider and must understand, as we deploy the smart grid and move forward to a, a better robust grid, because as you also pointed out, uh, grid stability is one of the issue, is one of the side issues involved in the entire distributed uh, creation of energy
1: absolutely no, I think it's a very important thing, and there is a lot of concern in terms of uh, keeping the grid stable and secure and reliable under all types of conditions and 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 more so under contingency conditions and contingencies refer to unexpected outage of certain transmission lines when, when you have mm-hmm. certain large transmission lines that are out of service for different reasons. And and can you keep the grid secure and reliable even under those conditions? And, and with the growth of some of these resources, it's extremely important to carefully plan and analyze those conditions so that you, at, all, at all times you're actually providing for reliable electric service for induced customers.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what. Karen, I would really like to thank you for taking the time to be with us today and to talk about this, because as we move forward, as I'm saying, we really have to understand these issues very seriously, because the solutions that we create in the case of the grid infrastructure are going to be with us for decades and decades to come.
1: Absolutely. No, I think, I think it's a good point. Thanks for having me also on. It's been a great opportunity for me. Oh,
0: the pleasure is mine, and we'll definitely drag you back, because I know you could have talked longer on that subject. I just cut you short. So uh, thanks again for being on the show. No problem. And, and I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to listen to us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paulson on Power. Have a great day.